Hey, this is Mark Kassoff, and this is RPM 45. Bertie Higgins is a multi-talented guy, a singer, songwriter, film producer, and performer most famous for his 1981 top 10 hit, Key Largo. In this episode of RPM 45, we talk with him and even have a cameo appearance from the woman who inspired his big hit. I understand you started your showbiz career as a ventriloquist. Yep, but the problem was, Mark, the problem with that was at about 13 years old, I started stuttering. Oh, no. Which I thought, so me and the dummy were both stuttering, and that didn't work, so I dropped out of that. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. I did some shows around uh, Tampa Bay for the Lions Club and the school assemblies, and one kid said, why do you turn red in the face when the dummy talks? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Nerves, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. How old are you at this time? Well, about 12 or 13. Yeah, then I started playing drums in the high school band. Then I formed my first little group in my junior year, and we played for all the sock ops and proms. And then I got out, went to college for a while, had to go through a little army time. And then I joined a band called the Romans. And Tommy Rowe ran into us. We backed him up on a show or two. And he put an E in the Romans. And it became Tommy Rowe and the Romans. Uh-huh. And our next thing was we did a Brian Epstein tour in England. Yeah, I, I read his uh, bio. And he... Uh, Dude, Tommy? Yeah. He talks about how the Beatles opened for you. Is that right? Yeah, it was a pretty crazy time in Beatlemania. But we had a great time. We got back from England. We were the heroes of Tampa Bay. We couldn't walk down the street, man. But that was for good days. And then I fell in love with a girl in Tarpon and got married. Her parents owned A&W Root Beer Stand. I went to work there for a few months. Boy, that was exciting. <laughs> and uh, then at one point in the end last year of the Romans, I started writing songs. I knew I had to write and I couldn't do it from the drums. So my mother had taught me a little on the ukulele when I was about 13. And I picked up an old Gibson guitar and spent all night in the bathrooms of the motels when the Romans were on the road. Uh-huh. And uh, at four in the morning, they'd literally come into the bathroom, lift me up and throw me in bed because I was keeping everyone awake, banging out of these strange little songs I was writing. But that was that time. And then I took my marriage seriously and we had our first child. I read that you were at one point a sponge diver. Is that accurate? I sure was, yes, in my first couple of years of my marriage. That's what Tarpon Springs is known for, Greek sponge divers, but I'm not Greek. So I started sponging on my own. I bought myself a, a boat, and away we went. A lot of work. I mean, sponge divers had it tough, man. Well, that's about it, man. I sponged for a while, and then I uh, got serious about my songwriting. And uh, in 1979, I moved to Atlanta because I had contacts through Tommy Rose management out of Atlanta. And I spent 18 months writing. That's all I did. I didn't drink, didn't smoke reefer, didn't do anything. And uh, finally wrote a song called Key Largo. And I took it to Tommy's publisher, Bill Lowry, and he got up from behind his desk, all 350 pounds of and started dancing. And he said, we're very glad, he says, you've written one, I believe. If this song ever gets legs, it'll live forever. Well, your inspiration for Key Largo, tell me about that. There's a great story about that. Well, my wife now is my second wife. Beverly and I hooked up when she was very young. I was about 25, I guess, and she was 17. And uh, we lived together for a while. Then she left me, about killed me. Hmm. And uh, when I moved to Atlanta, she kind of moved up there, too. And I said, the only way I'm going to turn this woman around is get something on the radio and quit bullshitting about it. 
So Key Largo was written, and I was so poor, we had to use my road band, which I put together in Atlanta, and we played some tough gigs. I mean, we did a club one time in Augusta called Smokies, and uh, we moved our gear in on Monday, and there was still blood on the dance floor from the night before. Oh, I'm my like, God. Holy crap. Oh, wow. What are we doing here, guys? Wow. But I just was, we had to do Key Largo seven or eight times a night. That's how much people liked it. And I said, well, I might have stumbled into one. So the funny story is I used my road band to record it, and use part of the Atlanta Symphony to put the strings on. We hold a record of being the only song that went number one in any chart that started off with only one station, and that was WWD Gainesville, Georgia. But if you parked your car just right and held your mouth just right, it would bleed over into Atlanta through static and crazy stuff. So I got in touch with the program. I said, man, do me a favor. Tomorrow, would you play Key Larvin at a noon sharp? He said, no problem. So I went and picked up Beverly for lunch. And I said, listen, I got something for you. So we sat on the parking lot of the restaurant, and I turned the radio on, and on came Key Largo. Oh, nice. She said, she said is that you? And I said, yep. And I was so flushed and romantic. She said, by the way, you're singing flat on the last verse. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and, I, and I went, boy, talk about deflating. Good Lord. Was she right? Yeah, so we went back in the studio and fixed the flat note. And uh, I started making a lot of money, quick. I'd been broke so long, I was in my little apartment there in Atlanta. It was a cold night, it was raining, and I was sitting on the floor with no furniture on this hardwood floor, and I was naked with an old quilt wrapped around, and it was cold. Uh-huh. My mother had made it, and I had a pack of cigarettes and a six-pack of beer on the floor beside me. Well, I'd been broke so long, and it occurred to me that I had a check advance from ASCAP for $100,000 in my jean back pocket. Whoa. So I, I never went back to sleep, went out shopping, bought a, bought a Cadillac Eldorado, leased a new townhouse, went shopping for clothes, and never looked back. Oh, wow. And, uh, but, there, but there were some lean times, too. My managers at the time didn't have a clue about managing an act. I was platinum in Japan, and there was a royalty check due, and he had power of attorney over me, so he had gotten advance on those royalties and uh, then sold the company, which was being distributed by CBS Sony. And uh, the guy that bought it didn't have enough money to pay me the royalties when the time came around. The lawyer kept all the money uh. and took $250,000 and almost bankrupted me. Oh, no. And uh, he actually sent me an email about three years ago thanking me for not suing him back then. Huh. And I, I said, you've got to be kidding me. What balls, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the story of Key Largo. Well, there is something you missed in that story, though. You got the girl back. Yeah, and we got married. That's great. And that was one hell of a wedding. You ought to have been there, man. I bet. So that's the way to get a girl back. Write a fantastic song that's romantic as hell about her. And dedicate the first album to her, which I did. And uh, we had a little trouble. We split up for three or four years. But here we are. In fact, she's standing behind me listening. Hey, Mark. Hey. We make two beautiful babies, Aaron and Julian. They're both in the industry, in the movie entertainment, and, you know, my other son's in the union. You know, he's a prop master. And so he's working and making good money. They still live in California, which is hard. It's been a up-and-down road in our life, but, you know, I'm 63 now, and I was 17 when he met me, so, yeah. We've known each other a little longer. And you're the inspiration. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to talk to you as well. 
my wife this morning uh, asked me who I was going to be talking to today, and I said, Bertie Higgins. And she didn't immediately connect the name. And I said, oh, you know this song. And I played her your official video for Key Largo. And he's, and she said, oh, he's really handsome. You know, so so, <laughs> so it, it, it made me feel a little jealous and made me feel like, well, I'm glad maybe that we're not doing this on video, you know. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, I'm here. Is there anything else we need to talk about? Absolutely. I, if you've got time. I mean, if you know, if you got the time. Uh, I definitely uh, want to talk to you about a lot of stuff. Um, one is when you have a hit like that. You mentioned you got like what two hundred thousand or so last year in royalties for for writing the song for publishing. That's amazing. So I got more than that, and it's hard for me to believe that after all these years, people still won't let this song go. So my publisher was right. He well, said, Bernie, if this thing up his legs, it'll live forever. Well, he has a, yeah, I mean, he has a very good ear, but it is a classic song. I mean, it truly is. Uh, it, it's an amazing, romantic, beautiful song, you know, that I could see could live on for a long, long time. I just did a movie with Matthew McConaughey and Key West, and we did Key Largo in the movie. He was singing it with me on the stage at the Schooner Bar, and he couldn't sing in a bucket. <laughs> and I got to laugh so much. I got the laughing so hard and I couldn't sing. <laughs> now, there, now, now there's another movie coming out that's just being released this month. It's a Florida-based film with a major cast distributed by Lionsgate. And they're using Key Largo and another song of mine called Florida in the movie. Fantastic. Along with Barbara Streisand, Jimmy Buffett. There's a bunch of Madonnas on that thing. But those are great paydays. Oh, kidding. That's awesome. So, well, you know, one thing I've learned talking to artists uh, over the past, uh, you know, nine months or so I've been doing this is really the money is in the writing. It's not in the performing or even the record so much as it is in the writing. So you got that right. There's where it is, man. And if you've written, and I try to write songs that'll live, uh, the big money is long money is in the writing. Yeah. Uh, well, like, you know, for do, using uh, these two songs, it's over $100,000. It's amazing. Fantastic. Because uh, I've talked to artists that sold records, a lot of records, and they say, well, we didn't really get hardly anything for that because we didn't have the publishing, you know. Well, and well, the, uh, the, uh, I never became a superstar because I think my first managers handled my career poorly. But that first album, my producer said, was chock full of hits, and he was right. Uh, there was a song on the album called Casablanca, which last year the Chinese people voted for the 10 most important songs of all time. Really? Casablanca was right in the middle of that list. Well, I read that you're like huge in Asia. Uh, well, I don't know how huge. I'm only five foot seven. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I was in uh, China for eight times last year. Okay. I was going to go this year, but with the pandemic, I haven't left my pajamas sitting on my ass on my couch. Yeah, well, that's all of us. Yeah. Watching watching Turner Classic movies. Uh-huh. Now, what about, aside from the money, which is substantial and significant, uh, what about just the impact of a song like Key Largo on people's lives? You must hear stories from them. Yeah, I, I've thought about that a lot, and uh, that's very important to me because I love being a songwriter with the talent to write songs. You know, my great-great-great-grandfather was Goethe, the German poet who wrote Faust. Yes, I read that too. 
Well, I was just got a, my doctorate degree from Hanover University in Germany, my doctorate in music, and I was also knighted. So now I'm Sir Bertie Higgins, PhD, and I told the red band, you can either kiss my ring or kiss my butt. They kiss the ring. Kiss the ring, Bertie. But no, it's, it's an amazing time. And uh, I just hope I make a mark on people's lives. But you know what? You never know where it's going to end up. I wrote a song called Tokyo Joe, another Bogart movie. And it's my least favorite. In fact, I hate it. I won't even play it on stage or listen to it. Really? But I get easily saying, Bertie, thanks so much for writing Tokyo Joe. It has changed our lives. Really? I'm going, damn, what, what music are these people listening to? <laughs> Amazing to me. It never ceases to amaze me. You never know where it's all going to end up, you know? Well, it sounds like it's ended up in a very good place for you. Yeah, I guess. I heard you do a lot of charity work. Tell me about that a little bit. I'm an easy touch. Someone calls, as long as I know the money's going where it's supposed to go. And unfortunately, these days, a lot of those charities are putting the money out where it needs to go. So I'm very careful about what I pick and choose. But most of the time, if someone calls me and wants me to do the charity, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. uh, because my father always tells me, you got to give it back, son. Uh huh. And especially you're involved with uh, some of the sea life out on that uh, Gulf Coast. Yeah, I'm very involved in saving the, the brown pelican, which has been terribly abused. And I restored a couple lighthouses out here, or did charity shows to raise the money to get it going. I was raised on the water, man, on the salt water. And as my father taught me everything about the sea, taught me how to do it, what to do, how to stay alive doing it, how to feed my family doing it. You know, he was a good man, and he taught, he taught me a great deal. I miss him. You say they're, they're abused, the brown pelicans abused. What's the nature of the abuse? Was it that oil slick that hit, or was that something different? Well, it's an ongoing thing. understand the state bird of Louisiana is a brown pelican. There's not one there. They're all dead. Wow. Now, think about that one. I have a good friend named Ralph Heath who has a thing down here on uh, St. Pete Beach called the Suncoast Seabird Sanctuary. And he takes birds that are harmed or on the edge of death and recuperates them. So he, he got me started, and I do it every chance I get. Are they coming back now? Oh, yeah. And they're a beautiful bird. They're huge with a big sack under their bill. They're on their way back, Mark. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So it sounds like you're doing really good work with that. And I did see on your website, it says you've got a concert on February 16th. You are correct, sir. Yep, I'm going to do it. Oh, okay. First show I've had all year because I just refused to go out. But I just had my first vaccine shot, which wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And I want to advise everyone out there to go get your shot. Quit being candy asses. Go get it. If you're a patriot, go get it, or you want this world to survive. Yeah. I wanted to put the shot in my ass, but they wouldn't. <laughs> I said, would you put this thing in my hip or my ass, please? <laughs> well, that's not what the company Pfizer recommends. Yeah. I said, what's the difference if those in my ass or in my arm? I wonder about that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Not that I wanted it in my ass, but, you know, especially if you're in a long line of people getting the shot. Um, I don't know if I want to drop trial at that point. Well, as long as you don't spin around and show them that monster of yours, I think it'll be okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is funny stuff we're talking about. Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Well, hey, that's all I got. Um, it's been great talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, as you can tell from our conversation that I'm half crazy. Well, that's good. Uh, that makes for an interesting conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, but I look back at my life. 
the things I've done and where I've been. I've been all over the world. And the thing I've discovered, Mark, in traveling the world, everyone's got the same issues. I don't care where you're at. They're simply trying to feed their children, keep a roof over their children's heads, get them educated, keep alive and out of jail. Yeah. So things are all basically the same. All right. At any rate, Mark, it's been grand talking to Manny. God bless your listeners. And all you people out there, God bless you, and I love each and every one of you for respecting what we do. And you've got to take your damn shot with me in a pussy and take it. <laughs> Good man. I think that's a great message to end on. There's a funny down-to-earth guy, Bertie Higgins. Thanks to him and thanks to you for listening to RPM 45.